is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I, I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Stand steadfast. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. That's the New King James translation. And so, Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning is that we will not be entangled again. No more entanglement with sin. But we will walk in the liberty, the freedom that we have in you. And we will live as free slaves of righteousness. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. That by the spirit of the living God, our eyes would be opened this morning. So we can see your truth. Our ears will be opened so that we can hear your voice. Our minds will be open, Lord God, so we can understand your word without any confusion. That everything will be clear and simple so we can activate it and manifest it in our day-to-day -day life. Open our hearts to receive by faith your word this morning. May we be more than Mere hearers, but doers also. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that someone listening, someone watching this morning, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, will surrender their lives to you. Someone who has backslidden in heart will return to you, Lord God, and again receive of your great favor. We bless you, we thank you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Church. Hallelujah. Uh, in our churches, there are uh, three kinds of people. Uh, there are spectators, anticipators, and participators. The spectator is just there to observe. The anticipator is expecting real blessings, but not doing anything about it. And the participator is busy singing, praying, ushering, planning, and doing the work. The participators are the minority, the sacred few who are doing more than others. Are you a spectator, an anticipator, or a participator. Today, I want to speak to you about how to break free from life-controlling habits. 
in, in 2 Peter 2 verse 19, the scripture says, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. Now reading that, you may wonder, well, I don't even know what that means. So let's find it in a simpler translation. Especially the second part. The NIV translation says, For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Let me say that to you again. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You're a slave to anything that masters you in life. Good thing or bad thing. If sleep masters you, you are a slave of sleep. If laziness masters you, you are a slave to laziness. Because whatever masters you, if TV masters you, you're a slave to TV. In fact, the, the Living Bible translation says this. For a man is a slave to whatever controls him. If it controls you, you're a slave to it. Now, I know that most of us will not admit that we're a slave to anything except for righteousness. But in reality, is that so? You see, many of the times when a message uh, is brought about breaking from habit, people's mind immediately switch to, well, this will be a good one for the drug addict and the alcoholic. They need a message like this. And I agree, and I agree with you that a drug addict and an alcoholic need to hear this. But Peter goes so much further than that. And many people need to break free from something outside of drugs and alcohol. You see, you will never know the freedom of being in God's presence as long as you remain enslaved. You will not enjoy the fullness of joy and the pleasures forevermore that the scripture speaks of if you are enslaved to other things. In fact, Psalm 23 from verse 3 to 4 says this. Who shall ascend into the hills of the Lord? Or who is going to be in God's presence? Or who shall stand in his holy place? It says, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. It means that if you have an impure heart and you have hands that are unclean, you cannot be in God's presence. It means that you're enslaved by something that is keeping you out of God's presence. And if you're living outside of God's presence, you will not enjoy the pleasures forevermore and the fullness of joy that the scripture speaks of. Matthew 5 verse 8 says it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart 
requires a, a, a freedom from controlling habits and behaviors. So now that we kind of break it down, let me ask. Are you enslaved to anything? See, some people are slaves to work. They have to work or else they are not satisfied. Some people are slaves to jealousy. They always have a reason to be jealous of someone or something. Some people are slaves to gossip. They don't feel good unless they are talking about something about somebody. Some people are slaves to anger. They always are angry about something or angry with someone. Some people are slaves to pornography. They can't do without it. Some people are slaves to various kinds of drugs and other vices. And they all hold us bound. Whatever it may be, Peter says, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Let me give you some simple ones. If you can't do without coffee, coffee is your master. You're a slave to whatever masters you. It's that simple. So I want us to take an inventory of controlling negative habits we allow in our lives that needs to be broken. And so today, to help you, we're going to ask several questions that we are going to answer together. And so the first question is, how do we identify a controlling habit? You may be sitting there, you may be listening, and you're wondering, well, how do I know if this thing is a controlling habit in my life? So I'm going to help you I'm going to help us in answering that question. Let me define for you what a controlling habit is. A controlling habit is something we find ourselves doing even though it is destructive either physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. What, what's a definition? It means that a controlling habit has the power to affect us physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. It can also be in any one of those states. In other words, it could be something physical, it could be something mental, it could be something emotional, it could be something relational, or it could be something spiritual. That is a life-controlling habit. Are we consistently do something... Next part of a definition. Are we consistently do something we wish we wouldn't do, but we find ourselves doing it anyway? Is there anything like that in your life that you, you wish you would not do it, but you still do it? If that's you, I don't want you to give up or feel somebody feel like, well, no. I don't want you to hide it because you are not alone. And so just put your hand on your chest and say, well, I am not alone. I want to say that because I want us to understand that we are not the only one. There are others. 
In fact, there are some there are some people who we look up to that have the same problem or had the same problem. One guy is a guy called Paul. And here's what Paul says in Romans 7 verse 15. For that which I do not... I have to read this so you're right. You're not going to understand it, but it's how the Bible have it. So I'm going to have to break it down. Paul says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, I do not. But what I hate, that I, that I do. Like, hello, Paul. Hello. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. Hello, Paul. Where did you get your English from, Paul? Like, if you read that in your Bible, you would have said, no, sir. And you move along. So maybe if I give you in a simpler translation, then you'll understand how critical this whole uh, verse is. It's, so one, here's it. This is a 20th century New Testament translation. It says, I do not understand my own action. Sounds simpler, right? For I, for I am as far from habitually doing what I want to do that I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. It says, I do not understand my own actions. For I am as far from habitually doing what I want to do that I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. Man, he said, I am so far from doing the thing that I want to do that I end up doing the thing that I hate. That's what Paul was saying. Paul is saying, I, I have this struggle because I really don't want to do it, you know. But I just end up doing it. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to act this way. I don't want to speak this way. I don't want to be watching TV until the next day. I, I, I prefer to read my Bible. I prefer to pray. But I'm telling you, TV has a hold on me. I, listen, I prefer to get up and exercise. I prefer to lose some weight because I'm overweight. But I'm telling you, I don't want to eat and put on weight, but that's what I'm doing. But it's not really that, that I want to do it, you know, because I really want to exercise. But the more I want to exercise is the more I don't exercise. What is causing this? That was the dilemma in Paul's life. And the dilemma in many of our lives today. Paul says, the good I want to do in one translation, I do not do. But the bad I don't want to do, that I do. And he says, there's a greater thing inside of him. There was something that was controlling him. And Paul had to deal with it. And so we want to deal with it. This is the apostle Paul fully understood his dilemma, even though he had good intentions. Listen, I believe that people have good intentions for the most part. But good intentions are just intentions that, so, that are good. That's how they are. Good intention change nothing. Good action is what changes things. So we must understand that many good people 
Many people with good intentions are bound by controlling habits. And so we must understand then that, that denial is not the way to deal with the problem of controlling habits. You can't deny it. You have to first admit that you have a controlling habit. Some of us reason in our minds. If I admit I have a habit, then it means that I am less than spiritual. But be honest. Look at your life and like Paul. Evaluate the things you find yourself doing that you hate. Realize the importance of the identification process and then submit your own inabilities so that you can make the necessary changes. Take a moment, sometime today, get some quiet time or tonight and write down the habits in your life that you want to see absolute victory over. Identify them. You see, the greatest spiritual challenges, you know where they come from? Materialism, pride, self-centeredness, laziness, anger, bitterness, sexual loss, envy, gluttony, lying. Almost all our problems stem from one of these things. So we should be aware that we're also vulnerable to overconfidence when we experience a spiritual victory. So because you're having victory in one area, you fail to admit and identify the area of controlling behaviors that are negative. So regardless of the vice, none goes unnoticed of a holy God and anyone can hold us captive. Hallelujah. Listen, the bad practice of too much TV can lead to many implications in your life. And here's the problem. People believe because, because watching TV is not sin. It is the ripple effect of watching TV that causes the problem. So what the enemy does, the enemy knows that to present sin in its raw format, you will ignore it. So what he does, he finds a way of forming bad habits in your life. And those bad habits take you outside of God's presence. And when you move outside of God's presence, then sin creeps in. You see the pattern? That is why we have to deal with the habits that are wrong. Because the more TV you watch, is the less devotional time you're going to have. Listen, losing weight is not a major issue until it develops into medical problems. So we think, like, if I don't exercise, it's not a problem. But what the enemy is doing is creating bad practices that will eventually lead to other things. I guarantee you that every sin that we have committed started out with some bad practices that led up to it. 
That is why if you start watching certain sexual content movies on your television, you'll end up probably in sexual sin. But the enemy knew if he just throw sexual sin in front of you right away, you probably would not have been tempted by it. But to develop a bad practice that took you outside of God's presence because they can't stand before a holy God without clean hands and a pure heart. And what they stop, the bad habits do, they make our hands unclean and our hearts impure. Amen? Bad habits and controlling habits are like secret sins. But I want us to know that God sees our secret sins and he sees our vices. God is seeing the bad practices and habits in our lives. Psalm 139 from 3 to 4 says that. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God is familiar with all my ways. Come on, just, just you're at home, just say that with me. Just say, God is familiar with all my ways. Not just our sins, but all our ways. God knows our daily practices. In, in fact, the psalmist says earlier in Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I cherish sin in my heart, God will not listen to my voice. It means that God takes sin seriously. Takes controlling habits seriously. So those knowing God's word understand the desire and ambition of Satan. How he seeks to destroy mankind. He makes sin appear to be attractive. Sin, the devil always, listen, the apple was what? Pleasing to the eyes. Sin is always pleasing to the eyes. It always presents itself to satisfying desire. That's how sin is. Sin is not ugly and unattractive. It, he showed him the devil showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world and said, listen, all of these can be yours. Sin always presents itself to be attractive. You see, Satan shows how pleasant sin and immoral conduct can be, but never shows the tragic end of sin. That's the problem. That's the, the, the deception with sin is that you only see the beginning. And you know why? Because Satan don't know the end from the beginning. He's just a beginning guy. He just starts stuff. Jesus knows the end from the beginning. So because Jesus knows the end from the beginning, Jesus can say, don't do this. Satan said, do what you want. Because he doesn't know the end of all of it. You see, the thing is that when sin presents itself to us, it never shows the tragic end. You know what they said? That sin will cause you to go further than you want to go, cause you to stay longer than you want to stay, and it will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. We don't need to look long before seeing the results of the power of sin in the lives of people. Premature deaths, broken and dysfunctional homes, plus the loneliness and the heartache sin brings. 
Bible says that there is pleasure in sin. Don't fool yourself. The, the, the fruit that they ate must have tasted real good. But such pleasure is only for a moment. So let me say it again. Sin, there, there is pleasure in sin. People enjoy going out and gyrating and all of them things and drinking and partying. There is fun in it. The thing in the, is that that fun only lasts for a moment. The end result is only pain. Not only pain. The end result is not only pain. But separation from God on earth than in eternity. Spending eternity in hell is the result of continuing in sin. That's the tragic end. Yes, it feels good. Yes, it tastes good. Yes, it's enjoyable. But it leads to a life of separation from God on earth and in eternity. See, life isn't easy with the devil. It is the most difficult of all lives. So don't, if you're a believer, and know the people in the world are telling you what God can do, give up on God, and you're, especially for Christian ladies, there are men coming to tell you, come out of church and think, listen, there is no fun in partnering with the devil. Let me say it again. The devil, understand this. One of the things that he lost is the presence of God. He was kicked out of the presence of God. One of his primary role is to get as many people out of the place that he got kicked out of. He doesn't love you. So he tries to get us into these controlling habits. See, God desires for us to confess and repent of sin. He desires a blameless witness from his children. God repeatedly tells the people to be holy for he is holy. He desires for his children to reflect who he is to a lost and dying world. You see, we do that both through words and actions. Our actions especially often speak even louder than our words. See, the truth is that you're always preaching. It's just that sometimes you're not using words. So you have to identify what life-controlling habits that you have in your life right now that could lead to sin that will take you out of God's presence. And it's some simple things. It always starts with the simple. Let me say it again. It always starts with the little things. With the little things. Question number two. Why are controlling habits so powerful? Have you ever wondered 
how difficult it is for somebody to exercise. Yeah, have you ever thought about it? Like, what could, what, what power is stopping me from just getting up and, and doing this for, for 20 minutes? Like, like, how hard could that be? How hard could it be to, to watch TV for two hours instead of six? How hard could it be to drink one Pepsi a year instead of one a day? Well, why does it seem like, like Pepsi? You can imagine, you know that cigarette is made from a, a, a bush called tobacco, right? That's a bush. How can a bush be enslaving a human? Where does rum come from? Cane. How can, how can sugar cane be so controlling over a human? Have you ever thought about it? Sugar cane. The Lord says, I give you dominion over, over everything. But yet, bush controls us. Cain. It, it's really bush. It just, it's just fancy bush. Because if the, if the devil took up bush, you wouldn't want it. So what they do, they make it into cigarettes and it look pretty. That's it. It's pretty bush. And all of a sudden, the look of the thing changed. And it's a, you know how many people drive past sugarcane and would not cut it but them drink rum and drunk? Because guess what? How it looks as cane is not attractive. But when it is beautified, it becomes controlling. They are powerful because they slowly bind you. Slowly binds you. Slowly. That's the thing. It, 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 it as you know, I don't, I don't drink. I've, I've never, I don't know about it. But I hear people always in drinking alcohol. They talk about this thing called, they say something is a creeper. And I think what they mean is that you don't know it has strong alcoholic content, um, right? And so what it does, you, you're drinking it and you don't realize that it's slowly causing you to get intoxicated because it doesn't appear like there's a whole lot of alcohol in it because the taste is so good, but it has more alcohol than all white rum. I don't, I don't know, but, but they call it creeper. But it's slowly creeping into your system. And, and before you know it, you're fully intoxicated. That's how life-controlling habits are doing. Life-controlling habits are formed at a pace almost unnoticeable. You don't realize until it's too late. Usually the person don't even know that they have formed a, a, a habit in their life. And if someone asks, they say, I can't, I can quit at any time. Th this isn't a problem. I, I, I've said that before. Don't worry yourself about my Listen, when we're ready, we just exercise and it's gone. The longer I take to do it, I realize it's harder it is to start. Don't, don't, no, 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 man, me not addicted. You mad me. Me can't do it without bun and cheese. Simple. Just don't go buy any. 
we make it seem like, don't worry, I can do this. And, and for years, we have not been doing it. Daily practices over time become habits that are unbreakable. You see, bad habits are like comfortable beds. Easy to get into, but hard to get out of. I'm telling you have, you, have you ever seen a comfortable bed? When you go into your mind and you start, oh my God, this feels so comfortable. The hardest thing to do is to go, get out of that bed. The person who smokes isn't addicted on the first pack of cigarettes. It takes time after time, smoke after smoke, before the body becomes dependent upon nicotine. Habits are formed through willful behavior. You give in so many times that you become addicted. This is the reason a habit is so powerful because it is so subtle. So subtle. You don't realize it until it's gone too far. And that is why let your practices always be aligned with the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't take it for granted that the little thing you're doing now that is not spiritual don't have implication. It is helping to form habits in your life. That's the thing. If you start getting up and just feel like, I can't have my devotions any time I want, what you're going to find is that you're going to not have your devotion. Not only do they slowly bind, they are powerful because they break your will. Habits will break your will. Once you, once you have allowed a habit to control you, the Bible says that habit is your master. In other words, it gets to a point where you don't tell it what to do. It tells you what to do. It, that habit breaks you down to the point where you don't even try to resist because you feel like you can't break through. I've been there, church. You're practicing and doing something that are so wrong. You get to the place like you don't even try to resist anymore. You just give in to it. And then your attitude becomes, why should I try? I always go back to doing it again. A habit will break your will to fight. You know, they always talk about how elephants are trained. The trainers begin taming a baby elephant. You know, they place a, a heavy chain around its ankle and stake the chain into the ground. And day after day, hour after hour, the baby elephant struggles to escape. But his efforts are in vain. He simply cannot break free from the grips of that powerful chain. Eventually, he surrenders. He resolves in his mind that there is no possible way he can escape from that chain. So he relinquishes forever the struggle to be free. Then when he has given up trying, his master replaces that giant chain with a small little rope. If the elephant ever opened his eyes to the truth, he would break free at that moment. All it would take is one try. 
But since the elephant doesn't know that, he doesn't take a step in the right direction of freedom. And so it happened that 10, 20, 30 years later, the giant elephant remains held in bondage by something that has no power to control him except the power he chooses to give to him. Why don't you remember that? So that's how they tame an elephant. You know what they do? When the elephants are, let me just break it down, are baby elephants, they put a piece of chain on their leg and put a piece of stick in the ground and put him there. He keeps trying to break free and can't. And for years he tries and he can't. As he grows bigger, he gives up on even trying to break, to, to break free. And at that point, when they see that he has given up, they put a piece of rope there. And now he's bigger. And they have cha chained. The chain to a rope. The elephant has given up. So he doesn't even try to break free. And he stays in bondage still. Though what is holding him, he has power over it. Many people today are allowing their lives to be controlled by things that no longer have the power to control them. Many people, many people are allowing their lives to be controlled by things. See, there was a time when you were in chains. God set you free. And now you're allowing a rope to hold you. Because remember, we're talking about thank God and free. God has set you free. That's what the scripture says. What? Do not be entangled. Stand fast in the liberty. Do not again be entangled. So, is this true with you as well? The Apostle Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't enslave yourself to what God has set you free from. Some of you are, are feeling like right now you don't even have the will to fight because the habit has broken your will. Once a habit has broken your will to fight, you will feel a sense of hopelessness. At this point, the habit is, it's, the habit itself owns you because you have allowed it to own you. Maybe some of you feel like you have lost the will to fight because your will has been broken. That is the power of a bad habit. Maybe there's something, some practice, something that you're doing and you feel like you can't stop. I'm going to pray for you at the end of this. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Why else are habits so powerful? They are powerful because they destroy your life. Bad controlling habits will destroy you and others along with you. They destroy you in many different ways. They destroy, I said it earlier, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, even destroy your finances. Uh, do you know that people are controlled by money? 
that, that's an easy one, right? Like, if, if there are some people, if they don't have money, they can't function. And it leads to other things. It leads to some stealing. It leads to some working. They, they, they sell, you know, you know, you know what the, the favorite quote is? That they spend all their health to get wealth. And then they have to use all their wealth to restore their health. A habit at first seems very harmless. At any point in the early stage, you could rid yourself of it. Many people think like that. It is not, I mean, I know I can, I know I can. If you convince yourself, you could stop at any time. The habit takes a stronger foothold, advancing a little more, taking away a little more of your freedom. So the scripture tells us, don't give a foothold to the devil. Don't even begin to make something bad be consistent in your life. Because all of a sudden, the little pothole starts gathering some water. It starts spreading and gets wider. And then the next thing you know, it turns into a big, what do you call it? Hole in the road. A little crack in the surface. If not addressed immediately turns into a massive pothole. So when you see things in your life, take immediate action. Come on, say that with me. When things are negative in my life, I will take immediate action. And over a period of time, that habit, like the enemy, begins to advance and destroy you. How many marriages have been lost to controlling habits? How many families have been divided because of controlling habits? How many jobs have been lost? How many relationships destroyed? How many minds have been wasted because of some controlling habits? And you know what is funny? Sometimes we even allow people to do it. In other words, some of the things that end up destroying our very kids are some of the things that we tell we allow them to do. And it forms habits. So we say, you have an hour for television. And they say, can I get an hour more? And you say, okay. And all of a sudden, they start watching TV for two hours. And then it increases. And so they get into a place where watching TV for an hour is not an option anymore. And then we wonder, why? Do you realize how many kids... They can't function without gadgets now. Why? Because in the twenty in, in this century, many people occupied their kids' life when they were busy with gadgets. So you want the baby to stop crying? You give them a phone. Play a game on it. So now they are 10 years old. They can't function. Those habits in the beginning seem very harmless. Have you ever seen parents, when the kids are giving problems, tell them to go into their room and don't solve it? And when they turn teenagers, what they do? Whenever they have problems, they don't solve it to their parents. What do they do? They go to their room because the habit was developed in childhood. how they are strong, how to identify them. Finally today, how can you be loose? Because that's the important thing. Hallelujah. I hope you have identified. Because I want to, I want to walk in the freedom. Thank God I am 
free. Amen. How can you break free from the grip of a bad habit in your life? From the smallest to the largest. First, you must understand what God's, God's word says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. It says, no temptation has seized you except which is come unto man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God let us know that in every situation, with every temptation, he provides victory. Before you get into temptation, you are a victor, not a victim. Whatever is tempting you, know that you have the victory over it. So if you succumb to it, it's not because the thing is strong. It's because you have surrendered to it. So what are the steps to victory? We have been saying, using this word a whole lot. Number one, admit you have a problem. Admit you have a problem. Admit you have a problem. Admit you have a problem with your spending habits. Admit you have a problem with your sleeping habits. Admit you have a problem with your, with your relational habits. Admit you have a problem with your... Admit you have a problem. Everything starts with confession. Accepting the responsibility that you have a problem. Come on, I want to teach you something new. You, you have not done this for many years now. But, 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 but just put your hand on your chest and say, I have a problem. If you're married, I want you to go to your spouse later. Sometime today and look at them and say, listen, I want you to know I have a problem. I want you to look at the children. Go to them and say, break, break yourself out of this a prideful attitude that you have it all together. Admit, I have a problem. Because true healing starts with confession. They say in 12 Steps programs, that you cannot win until you know you have a problem. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The purification and the forgiveness doesn't come unless there's confession. That's the progression of the scripture. The scripture says if we confess, then God will work. Many people give into the state of denial. They never admit they have a problem. Therefore, they never break free. You know some people who, no matter what they discuss in cell group, they don't have a problem. But, but everybody knows that they have a problem, you know. But people knowing you have a problem not going to help you unless you know you have a problem. Because nobody can confess for you. You have to confess for yourself. Alcoholics who never admit that they are alcoholics won't find freedom. People filled with anger who don't admit that they have a problem with anger won't get freedom. The first step is recognizing you are bound and you have a problem. That is the first step in breaking free. Step number two, depend on God's power to combat bad habits. Depend on God's power. You cannot do it on your own. If you could, you would have. The reason why the habit is causing a problem is because you can't stop. I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthened me. Isaiah says this, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. God wants to give you strength to overcome what you're up against. When it comes to being set free from habits that bind, Jesus can do more in a moment than doctors can do in a lifetime. I tell people, my first resort is God. Not no doctor. I, I, doc, doctors must do their work, you know. But I'm going to God first. Because if God can't fix the problem, I don't know if doctors can fix it. God must become your primary source of strength. So start a day with God. And he will help you through the day to overcome and show you a way out. So start the day with God. Start with some devotions and prayer and worship. The more you allow God to be part of your life, the more you will see him working in your life. You have to stop trying to do this by yourself. All by myself. Listen, even, even is Whitney Houston sing that song? You know what she said after that? Don't want to be. Even people in the secular world realize that they can't do this all by themselves. He did not say, go along. But he says, draw near to me. Draw near to him. The, th the third is, bad controlling habits must be replaced by good ones. So if you're stealing, Paul says you must stop stealing. But he goes on and says, give. So if you are lazy, if you're lazy, you have to start work. You can't just stop being lazy. If you, if you stop being lazy and don't start work, you're still lazy. So, so to break the habit of being lazy, like, don't go home and say, Mommy, you know what? I heard the word. Don't, don't say, I well, I said go home because you're not really at church, right? Don't, 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 don't at the end of the service, go to him and say, Mommy, Daddy, you know what? I, I, I'm going to st I realize after the message today that I've been lazy. I'm going to stop being lazy. As of today, I commit to stop being lazy. You have to start doing some work. You can't just stop being lazy. Because stop being lazy don't solve the laziness issue unless you start. Stop stealing doesn't do anything unless you start giving. Right? If you're lying, don't just stop lying. Start telling truth. Replace bad habits with good ones. If you have an anger problem, start being more uh, self-controlled. Ah, numbers, numbers 33, we're coming to an end. This is so good. Numbers 33, 55 to 56. Right? It says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land. Wait, you remember that. If you don't Drive out the inhabitants of the land. Those you allow to remain, watch this, will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you live, and then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. All right? 
So we're going we're gonna to use the scripture to explain. So we are the land. So what we need to do to drive out the inhabitants. If we don't drive out this thing and we allow them to remain in our lives, there are going to be barbs in our eyes and thorns in our side. They are going to give us trouble in our lives. And what God had planned to do to the thing, he's going to end up doing to us. Say with me, not a pretty picture. So drive them out. God told Moses that before the Israelites settled in the promised land, they should drive out wicked inhabitants and destroy their idols. There was supposed to be no trace or memory of the thing. In Colossians 3, Paul encouraged us to live as Christians in the same manner. He says, throwing away our old way of living and moving ahead into our new life of obedience to God and faith in Jesus Christ. So like the Israelites moving into the promised land, we can destroy the wickedness in our lives or we can settle down and live with it. We have a choice. Are you going to destroy the wickedness? Or are you going to settle down and live with the wickedness? To move in and possess the new life that Christ promised, we must drive out the sinful thoughts and practices to make room for the new. Come on, just say with me. Today, I'm going to drive them out. By that I mean to use new habits to replace the bad ones. Number four, number four. Find support from others. If you're going to deal with somebody controlling habits, you need others. They have all of these alcoholic anonymous, all of those things. In other words, group of people who come together, celebrate recovery, because people break habits together better. You ever realize that if, if we had in the church, if we had our own gymnasium, that more people be exercising. Right? Do you know that if the neighborhood is having a morning walk, more people would be walking? Because we do things better together than by ourselves. That is why self-groups are so important. That is why most people who get delivered in this church get delivered through self-groups. Because they have people to support them along the way. And in small groups. You see, that is why people who normally hide from small group are normally hiding issues. Because one thing small group do, it brings you closer to people, and the closer you are, is the more people see you. I'm telling you. Watch this, watch it. So, find support from others. Support from others is absolutely essential for your recovery or healing. We are healed by admitting our faults to one another. Come on, just say, say, oh, really? Oh, really? Yes, we are healed by admitting our faults to one another. Why do I need to drag another person into my life? Why can't I just admit it to God? Why don't I just pray about it, make a list, talk to God about it? But why do I need to tell another person? I ain't telling a soul my business. This is between me and God. You forgot somebody else who is a part of it. Because you and God never signed the sinful contract. It was the devil. We need a 
others because the root of our problem is relational. We lie to each other. We deceive each other. We are dishonest with each other. We wear masks. We pretend we have it together, but we don't, and we deny our true feelings, and we play games. And so we end up living with shame, and it makes us insecure. If they really knew the truth about me, they wouldn't love me, so we don't want to admit to people. That's the issue, you know. We don't want to tell people because we have been pretending. Real people always talk. Fake people always hide stuff. Because the picture you see of them is not the real picture. Let me say it again. Real people can be open and honest. Because they're not hiding anything. Fakers never talk about them life. Because what you see and who they are are two different things. So they have to keep hiding apart. And because they can't hide the who they are on the outside, they hide it on the inside. Watch this. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. The amazing thing is when you risk honesty with someone, all of a sudden, this feeling of freedom comes into your life. You realize that everybody has habits and often they have the same ones as you do. That's the thing. You know, many times I have spoken to the men and we talk about marriage and finances and as we begin to speak, it's like we're in an environment where no one feels ashamed. You know why? Because everybody understands that everybody, real people understand that all marriages have struggles. Fake people don't want to talk about their marriage because they want to put, out, put on a persona that is perfected. But people in real marriage know that all the past and marriage have problems. The bishop's marriage has problems. The apostle's marriage has problems. Even the people in the Bible who didn't marry have problems. All David did have problems. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Hear what James says? Therefore. When you say therefore, you need to check what it is. Therefore. He says, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Someone come to you and say, pray for me. What do you want me to pray about? We can't talk to you about it. It's very private. Then go and go seek some private prayer. What are you about to ask me to pray for you? If you can't talk about it, what, what? it's very private. And if you don't trust me to tell me, you're going to trust me to pray for you? I might pray some zongo, 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 say, hey, prayer. I don't know because you don't trust me. You're not confident to tell me what you're going through. So why should I go pray for you? It, it always amazes me. Pray for me, Pastor. What must I pray about? Why, Pastor, may I tell you the truth? I can't tell you. Private. Lord, whatever is private over there, deal with it. God, send some High upon it. Burn it, Jesus. Destroy who need to be destroyed. Kill who need to be killed, Jesus. Hallelujah. And they would say, I mean, if I pray that out, they would say, no, 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 you can't pray for me. Because, like, no, because you can't. And we understand the point I'm making. 
The problem is that, watch the scripture because we miss this. Before the word prior is used, it says confess to one another. In other words, until you confess, watch it, watch the progression. You have to watch progression in scripture. The healing part comes at the end, right? First, what comes? Confession. Then to one another, then we can pray. In other words, if we're not confessing to each other, we can't pray effectively for each other and we won't be healed. Well, you get the progression. That's the progression of the scripture. Part of the problem is that we want people to pray for us to be healed emotionally, but we don't want to We avoid the confession part. That's not God's way. The Bible tells us that we need to bear one another's burdens. Finally, finally, and we're going to close and pray. Take one day at a time. Matthew 6, 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Why, why? Because God wants to give you enough strength not to change, to change for one day. God wants to give you strength to change for today. Not for the week, month, or for the rest of your life. He wants to take it one day at a time so you can trust him. God wants to give you bread to change today so that you'll want bread to change tomorrow. One day at a time. L listen, conclusion. As we close, as we close. That's like the old saying. How do you eat an elephant? You know, elephant is a very big animal. How do you eat a whole elephant? You know what they say? You do? One bite at a time. You take a life problem. You do not get the habit overnight. And you break it down into bite-sized pieces. And you work on it one day at a time. And you get God's strength one day at a time. Any victory... No matter how minor, thank God for it. And you take one defeat at a time, and you get victory one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about a week. Don't worry about a month. Don't worry about a year. Concentrate on today. I want you to hear me. It may not seem like sin, but life-controlling habits are just as destructive as sin because they lead to many sinful practices. Do you have a life-controlling habit? Is there something that is mastering you? Maybe to you it's a simple thing and you feel like I can stop, but you have been doing it for a while. Listen, I want to pray for you, all of you watching online right now. And so if you say, you know what, that's me. I have a life-controlling issue. Two things. I'm going to pray for you, but you're going to have to find maybe uh, a mature believer, maybe your cell group leader, and say, listen, uh, uh, maybe your spouse. I don't know, but, but you need to find someone mature in faith, faith and say to them, listen, I want to confess my fault. Maybe that's what we need to do at Cell this week. Maybe we need to say, based on Sunday's sermon, what can we confess to each other? And what, what can we pray for each other in our cell group this week so that we can be healed? 
What, what can we really do? What, what do we need to confess? Maybe you need to confess that there's a life-controlling habit of anger, of laziness, I don't know, of just spending, whatever it is. Maybe there's a sin that has been holding you bound. It's like that rope that we spoke about that is holding the elephant, though they have full of power to break it. And you need the support of your cell group. Maybe I've been trying to take a month at a time instead of a day at a time. I'm going to pray for you, but this is just the beginning prior. Because what I want to pray is that will, God will give you the strength to be open and honest, to admit, to depend on Him, to, to, to share, to find support. So, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for uh, all of us, Lord God. I, I pray for myself this morning. God, and I admit that there are life-controlling habits that could lead to sin and relational issues and spiritual issues. I admit, Lord God, God, I realize that I need to depend on you. We need to depend on you because we can only do our things through Christ who strengthens us. We choose to depend on you, to rely on you, Lord God Almighty. God, we will find support. God, this week, give us the courage. Give us the, the freedom. Give us the liberty we need to confess our sins one to another, Lord God, and so that we can pray for one another, so that we can be healed, Lord God, so that we can be delivered, so that we can be set free from these life-controlling habits in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. God, we will take it one day at a time. One bite at a time. Cause us, Lord God, to be patient with each other. Knowing that people are going through a process. Lord God, sometimes we want them to change everything right now. But God, help us to understand that there are stages to grow. And stages to change. We thank you that this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I declare that your people are free from every life-controlling habit in the name of Jesus. Listen. The Lord, let me just, let me just say this. The Spirit of the Lord wants you to know this morning. And this is going to be the biggest challenge right now, right now, today. I want you to take 30 minutes today. 30 minutes. Maybe the Lord will have you take more. 30 minutes today. Take the notes that you have. Go over it. Look at it. Get your journal. And write out some of those habits. Some very simple. Some small. Some large. Write them out. And say, Lord, you know what? This thing has been going on in me. Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's a, how you judge people. Maybe how you think about people. And you're oftentimes wrong. Write them down and say, Lord, all of these issues. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray one by one and say, Lord, set me free from this. Set me free from this. Set me free from this. Then I'm, I want to challenge you to go to cell group. And cell group is going to be a time of healing this week. My leaders are just hearing this just like you. So they will be just as unprepared. But we're going to trust that the Spirit of God is going to move. And here's what we're going to do. In our groups, we're going to be open 
and honest. And say, you know what? As I spent time with the Lord Sunday or Monday, here's what the Lord said to me. I need your support. I invite you to keep me accountable. I invite you to pray with me so that I can be healed. I believe that as we do that, when we will gather together in this place, our worship will be like never before. Our praise will never be like before. Will be like never before. And God's presence is going to show up in a mighty strong way. It may be next month. It may be six months from now, three months from now. I don't know. But if we get to this place of openness and honesty, for who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall ascend into the hills of the Lord? Blessed are the pure in heart. And when we gather together with pure heart, we will see our God. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Bless your people today, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In your homes, we go, come on, just stand. As we close, let's just worship God. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say that I am. Let's just worship him for two minutes. And then we'll close our feet. Who the sun sets free. Sets free. Always free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 